Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. We said we're going to talk about stories. This is one of the most important stories in the Bible. Because if you look at the Bible from beginning to end, it's kind of interesting. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates this perfect world. And then in Genesis 3, he hands it over to humanity and we mess it up before the chapter's even over. And then the rest of the Bible is God getting back to what he created in Genesis 1 and 2. And so some people call that salvation history. And kind of like American history, there are certain points in our history that are kind of launching pads for everything else. The signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Revolutionary War, Civil War, you know, World War II, Civil Rights Movement, things like that. It's the same thing in the Bible. There are moments that stories that are launching pads for everything else. So in Genesis chapter 12 is one of those when God calls out Abraham and creates the nation of Israel that he's going to use to bring the Messiah. And then there's an exodus when God pulls the children of Israel out of slavery and brings them into the promised land. That's one of those pivotal moments. There's, of course, in the New Testament, when Jesus is born, he comes to this earth. God sends his son. He dies on a cross. And then he's resurrected. And that's, that's one of those. And the other one is in Acts chapter 2. And here's why Acts chapter 2 is so important. Because in Acts chapter 2, it's the story of God empowering his church to carry on the mission of bringing the gospel to the whole world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but Jesus really didn't himself, he didn't bring the gospel very far. He was sent to save the world, but you know, geographically, Israel is not much bigger than the state of Rhode Island. I don't know if you realize that. So can you imagine somebody telling you, look, I want you to save the whole world. You can't leave Rhode Island. All right, that's hard to do. But what Jesus did is he gave that mission to the disciples. And so in Acts chapter 2, it's the story of God empowering his church to carry on that mission. Now, I want to talk about a couple things that set the stage for all this that help us understand this. So if we're going to read this story about God empowering his church and then apply it to our lives personally, it's important that you understand a couple things. And the first one is this, that for each and every one of us, God has uniquely designed and positioned us for a mission that he has for us. Every single one of us has a mission. I hope you know that. I hope you know that God has designed you just like he wanted you. Even the things you don't like about yourself that you wish you could change. God gave you that because he has someone that he wants you to reach. And here's the thing. Our mission is all the same, it just looks, it happens in different ways. Every single one of us, our mission, the reason that we were born, the reason we were designed, created, and positioned, put right where we are, is to bring the transform, the message of the transforming love of Jesus Christ to lost and hurting people. That's everyone, in fact, I'll say this, I think everyone has that mission. When we do outreach and we're reaching people that don't even know the gospel yet, we believe they've been called to reach other people with the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we do that. And so every person here, you've got a mission to reach the world. And I think it's so neat because, and let me see if I can say this the right way. I got it right at the first service. I'm going to see if I can get it right here, all right? God has not called anybody to reach everybody but he's called everybody to reach somebody. Does that make sense? I hope you wrote that down because I don't know if I can do it again. 
And I think that's neat. There's people that God has called me to reach that he didn't call Billy Graham to reach. He called Billy Graham to reach millions of people, but there's people that are on my plate that weren't on his. There's people that God has called you to reach that he didn't call Pastor Mike to reach. They'll never be in Pastor Mike's sphere of influence. But God has uniquely designed and positioned you, put them in your sphere of influence to bring the transforming message of God's love and power and forgiveness into their life. And so that is every single person here. You've got that mission. Now here's the next interesting thing. What God has called you to do is impossible for you to do. What God has called me to do is impossible for me to do. God calls us to do things that only he can do. Now that doesn't really, in a sense, really seem to make sense because that's not what we do as parents, are we? I mean, you, you guys, I think most of you know, I have four sons, all right? And so, and, and they're here in this service, but they know this already. They, they know they're one of four. And so um, I, I didn't have kids because I love kids. Like I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, I just, you know, I just love kids. So I just had a bunch of kids and I thought I, I never, I had more of an 18th century approach. I knew I need some help around the house. And so I had kids, man. And I'm just now kind of starting to reap the benefits of that. We were working in the yard yesterday and so I had one of them out and he's just getting to the, to the age where I was teaching him to edge with the weed eater. You know what I'm talking about? Because I don't like edging with the weed eater. That's why I had kids. I don't want to edge with the weed eater. And so, you know, I'm teaching him to do that. Now, that's fine for his age. But it would have been crazy if when he was three years old, and we have like a big, heavy weed eater, if I'd have brought out, you know, this weed eater, here you go, son, do that. I'm not going to ask him to do something that only I can do. But that's exactly what God does for us. God asks us to do something that only he can do. So here's what that means. We need his power to do this. That's why this story is so important. It's the church getting empowered to do what only God can do. And so when we look at this, we need to understand we need God's power. And here's where it gets a little tricky. We can't do what God has called us to do. And I don't believe we can ever feel fulfilled unless we're doing what God called us to do. But there's a lot of things we can do without God's help. Does that make sense? There's a lot of people here, man, you've been successful without God's help. And I'm not saying that, you know, well, you're a terrible person, but I mean, there's things you can do. You have some talents. I have some talents. I make pretty good crockpot chicken. I don't need the Holy Spirit for that. I need some, you know, ranch packets and some Tonys and a crockpot. And in three hours, you know, I can do pretty good crockpot chicken. I don't need to pray about it. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I can do that pretty well, all right? And now that's, you know, can't make a living out of crockpot chicken, all right? So I'm sure somebody has. But there's people here, you have gifts, you have talents, you're good at things. And here's the danger in that. If we're not careful, we'll lean on the things we can do without God and never move into a zone where we're doing the things that we're actually created for. Does that make sense? And sometimes those things that we can do in our own strength and our own power, and we've got gifts and charisma and smarts, and we can make a plan, and man, we can pull it off without God. It's so easy to stay there instead of moving in the thing that we were actually created and saved for, because that requires a whole new level 
of submission to God. And so Acts chapter two is the story of how that power happens. So I think God empowers us two ways, all right? There are moments with God and there is momentum in God. Does that make sense? There are moments with God, but then there is momentum in God. So if you have your Bible, look in Acts chapter two and verses one through four, talk about the moment with God. So let me give you some background to exactly what's happening here. Uh, of course, Jesus came and he ministered and, and there were people that began to follow him and then he was crucified and then resurrected. But the Bible tells us that in between that time, after he was resurrected, there was between 100 to 500 people that spent time with him. And he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then in Acts chapter one, he gathers them together and he says, I'm going up to heaven but I'm gonna send, you wait right here in Jerusalem and I'm gonna send the power of the Holy Spirit and you're gonna bring the message of me to the whole world. And so what's interesting is he didn't mean he was coming back right then. So he goes up and they stand there and wait. And if you go back and read chapter one, God has to actually send two angels and say, tell them I'm not coming back right now. So they come back and they're like, hey, y'all, y'all you kind of move around, all right? And so there's about seven to 10 days between that and Acts chapter two, and so they're waiting, and in Acts chapter two, they have an empowering moment with God. And I think there's three things in these four verses that can be a guide for us. The first one is this, look in chapter one, I mean verse one, chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, now that was a Jewish holiday, it was 50 days after Passover, they were all together in one place. That's the first thing I wanna look at. The Bible says they were all together in one place. If we wanna have an empowering moment with God, I think the first step is this. We have to stop and wait on God. The first thing we have to do is stop and wait on God. Jesus told them to wait, and guess what they did? They waited. When that moment finally came, the fact that they were all together in one place shows that they had taken, they had stopped what they were doing, and they were waiting on God. We have to dedicate time for any relationship that we want to flourish. We have to dedicate time for any relationship that we want to flourish. I think that's true of our family, true of our friendships, but I also think that it's true of our relationship with God. You cannot multitask intimacy. You cannot multitask intimacy. I learned this my first year of marriage. I'll never forget, Roxanne and I, We've been married for a few months. I had just come on staff, and uh, I was over inner city outreach in North Baton Rouge and responsible for all that. And so we did this outreach for a we planned it for a week, but it went so great, we extended it for two weeks. And so my job is I would, you know, in the, during the daytime, I'd be out in North Baton Rouge handing out flyers because we would bust people in every single night. And I was trying to get as many people on that bus as we possibly could. So I'd spend all day handing out flyers, trying to get people on the bus, and then I'd meet the bus, and then we'd bring them to the church, and the service was about two hours, and then I'd ride the bus with them, everybody home. And so I was leaving the house about six o'clock every single morning and getting home about 11 o'clock every single night. It was supposed to be one week, it lasted for two weeks. And it was fine though, because I was loving it. But then finally, after two weeks of that, it ended, and then I had planned something on Saturday morning so we had an outreach Saturday morning. And so Roxanne and I, have not, we've not seen each other. We've not talked to each other for like two weeks. And I finally get a moment where I'm not doing anything. And I'll never forget, I grabbed a book and sat down in my chair in the living room. And I see this cute little hand just slap that book. And I look up and she said, talk to me. 
And I learned then that you have to dedicate time for relationships. I learned a lot of things my first year of marriage. That's one of them. I found out my second year of marriage, I didn't learn enough in my first year of marriage. (laughs) But I, I learned then, if I want a relationship to flourish, I've got to spend time focusing on just that person. Not multi, can you imagine having a relationship with someone that you cared about and they spent time with you but it was never only with you? They were always doing something else. They were always on the phone. They were always looking at a magazine. They were always watching TV. They were always doing something. If I'm not careful, I'll do that with God. I'll never stop, I'll talk about how God is the most important thing in my life. I'll talk about, Lord, if it wasn't for you, man, I wouldn't have anything. But if I'm not careful, I never take a moment and stop and just focus on this. And here's what's crazy. I'll take a moment and stop and focus on cleaning my house. I'll take a lot of moments and stop and just focus on planning my day here at the church and for the office and doing that kind of thing. I'll take a moment and stop and focus on just working out. But I never take a moment, stop everything that I'm doing and just focus on God. And look, I, I, I like when people say, I, I think it's great. They say, you know, I just, I wanna, I wanna have God with me all day. And, and I'll listen to worship in the car. And I do this while I'm cleaning, I'm listening. And I think that's all great. But I'm gonna tell you this, if I wanna do what God has called me to do, and if it is beyond my ability, it takes me stopping everything that I do and focusing just on him. And that's what the disciples did in Acts chapter two. And my fear is, that the biggest obstacle to me being empowered by God to do the things that he has created me to do is not sin or unbelief, but busyness. And busyness gets in the way as much as anything else. So if I wanna have that moment with God that empowers me to do the things he's called me to do, the first thing I have to do is stop and just focus on him. The second thing is this. We have to stop and focus on him. We have to be desperate for him. Look in chapter two, of verse, uh, verse one. It says, oh, they are all together in one place. Verse two, suddenly the sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. What they needed was not inside of them. It had to come from heaven. And so the reason they were there is they were desperate for God's power because they knew they didn't have it in them They needed something that came from the outside. And so the second step that I've gotta have is I've got to be desperate for God. And here's why I think they were desperate. They were desperate because they believed they didn't have any other choice. They were so convinced that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that they had been called to bring the gospel over the whole world, there were no other options for them and they were desperate for God's power because there was only one thing that they needed to fulfill. And and you know, when I I began to read that and think about that this week, and I began to think about the fact that in my life, usually when I have options other than God, I tend to take them. If I have an option other than God's will for my life, if I'm not careful, I'll go that way. And and what I noticed, and I began to think about that a little even more, is I begin to think about the times when Satan shows up in the Bible. And most of the time Satan shows up, he's not tempting people, in a sense, to break the Ten Commandments. Like you don't see a lot of stories where Satan shows up and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to murder somebody. 
All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the Lord's name in vain, then we're gonna commit adultery, and then we're gonna lie. All right, now all those things are bad. You don't see Satan doing this. You know what Satan does? He offers options. Satan offers a lot of options in the Bible. In Genesis chapter three, we talked about it. When Eve is tempted, he doesn't show up to Eve and say, look, God doesn't know what he's talking about. That's terrible. You need to leave him and just follow me. You know what he says? You know what, uh, that, all that stuff's great. But have you thought about this tree too? You can have both. And that's what Eve was trying to do. She was trying to have both. And then, you know, I thought about when, G, when Satan comes in and meets Jesus. When Jesus was sent to this earth, and of course he had a mission on his life, and there's like this showdown in the desert. And Satan is going to give Jesus his best shot. And here's what he tempts him to do. Man, you're hungry. You need some bread. Have you ever read that story and thought about that? He tempts him, man, you're, I, I, look, man, keep following the father thing. You do everything he calls him to do, but he calls you to do. But you know what else? You're, look, you, you need some bread too. You need options. You need to have both. And, and what I noticed is that Satan doesn't give a lot of ultimatums. Because ultimatums make the truth and the lie clear, and he's afraid that we'll see it. What Satan does is he comes into our life and says, you know what, man, follow God. Read your Bible, listen to worship CDs, man, do all that stuff. But man, you can have this over here too. You know, you can have this. You need more options in your life. And here's what's crazy. Satan gives options. You know who gives ultimatums? God gives ultimatums. God gives a lot of ultimatums in the Bible. God says, this is my way. And here's what I've learned. If I'm not desperate for God, which means if I think I've got other options, when God gives me an ultimatum, I'm afraid I'll take the options. And people that experience a moment with God feel like they have nowhere else to turn. And, and what's interesting is it's hard to stay desperate when you're not hurting. It's hard to stay desperate when you're not hurting. When you're hurting, Man, we'll, how many are you desperate for God when you're hurting? Man, when your marriage is jacked up, man, your finances are crazy and we don't feel like we can pay the mortgage or there's something going on in a relationship, all of a sudden it becomes crystal clear to us that we can't do anything without God. We get desperate for God's presence. But the scary thing is as soon as kind of those get fixed and we kind of move out of that, it's hard to stay desperate when we're not hurting. But if I'm gonna have a moment with God that empowers me to do what I'm called to do. I've gotta stop what I'm doing and make time for him. I've gotta stay desperate. And the third thing is this. We have to completely submit to God. Completely submit to God. The Bible says that a wind came from heaven, so they knew they needed something from the outside, and it said it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It got what God sends to us fills the whole house. We have to submit everything from him to him. God wants every single area of our life. Do you have any rooms in your house that are closed off? I got four boys, two dogs, and me. If you come to my house, there are rooms you can't go in. There are closed doors everywhere. The only place I'm letting you in is the place I was able to clean five minutes before you got there. All right, I've, I've got, my boys will tell you, they, they know when somebody's coming over because I start lighting candles and rubbing stuff, you know. I even got, I got like a paint roller so I can put the marks in the carpet and you think I vacuumed, all right, and get that real set. And I'm only gonna let you go 
where I was able to fix. I've got all these rooms because I'm, I'm embarrassed with those rooms. And sometimes there are rooms in our house, in our life, they were like, Lord, I, I'm ashamed of that. I don't want you to touch that. Or, and I don't know if they have this much anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of older from another generation. How many of you had rooms in your house when you were a kid that nobody could go in because they were too nice? You know those rooms that were set aside just in case like the Pope or the president came by and everything was covered in plastic? And they even had, remember that plastic runner? Spend $3,000 on carpet and then cover it in $10 plastic. And what we used to do is wait till all, everybody went to bed and the lights went out and turn that plastic over because it had all those notches that would help it dig into the carpet and then see who was sanctified when they got to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. But did you have those rooms in your house? I mean, they, they were just so nice. Nobody could go there. So here's what I've learned. There are parts of my life that I'm like, Lord, I'm embarrassed of that. I, I don't, Lord, I don't want to touch that. But the other side is I've got some other parts of my life that I'm pretty proud of. And Lord, I want you to come in my house and I want you to fix all the messes, but God, don't, that room's covered in plastic. I got, I got my finances just like I want them. Lord, I don't want you in there. I've got my relationships. Lord, I finally got that figured out just like I want it. God, I don't want you in that. Here's the thing. If we're gonna have a moment where God empowers us, he wants to come in and fill the whole house. He wants to go in the rooms that are dirty. He wants to go in the rooms that are set aside. And, and so God wants everything. He wants us to fully, completely submit to him. Lord, whatever it is you want. And here's where they all come together. I've learned that desperate people are quick to submit. You know what I'm talking about? Desperate people are quick to submit. Desperate people don't negotiate. But people who aren't desperate will negotiate. So when I begin negotiating with God, Lord, you can come in this room, but I don't want you to come in this room. What that shows is I'm not desperate for God. I feel like I've got something to offer and I'm coming from a place of strength. And God is waiting for us to stop what we're doing and make time for him. He's waiting for us to be desperate for him. And he is waiting for us to say, Lord, you can come in any room in the house. And it's only when we have a moment with God where he fills us that we can live everything that he has called us to live. And I wanna kind of wrap this section up a little bit because it can sound kind of esoteric. When I say a moment with God, I mean just that. A moment where we come, if not physically face to face, we are aware and feel the presence of an almighty God. And I'm not saying this to sound super spiritual. In fact, if I communicate it the right way, it's gonna come out the opposite. But I was driving here this morning and I had a worship song on and I just began to cry. And I'm not a crier, all right? If, if I cry, it's usually my team lost in the fourth quarter kind of thing. That's, that's about all that does it, all right? Or the crock pot chicken is dry. But I was driving here this morning and I was listening to this worship song and I just began to think, the God that created heaven and earth, the God that just spoke and galaxies came into existence, the God that loved me enough that he came down as a man and was brutally killed on the cross called me to preach the gospel. That is humbling. And, and I'm gonna tell you this, we'll never be empowered by God 
if we don't have a moment with him where we are aware of his bigness, his power, his holiness, and our sin. And in fact, if you'll notice, most people in the Bible, when they recognize who they're talking about, they fall on their face and say, I'm a sinner. Whether that was Jesus, whether that was an angel, whether that was just the presence of God, and if we're not careful, we can go through the motions of church and we can go to service and we can read Christian books and we can even get a devotional that we do in the morning and it becomes a process and that's important. I'm gonna talk about the process in a second. And we're checking all the boxes that the Christian bookstore, the pastor said that we should check and there's nothing wrong with that but we never stop and have a moment that we know we met the creator of the universe. And I'm saying this because I'm setting some of you up for the end of this message. If you've never had that, I wanna give you that opportunity today. Because there are moments in our life where we face so much opposition, sometimes all we have to go back to is those moments we had with God. And and I'll tell you this, because sometimes we can get so, you know, spiritual and I'll do it my way and kind of things that we just lose it in, in different ways. I think it's great when a moment is connected to a place. I'm gonna tell you this, I could take you right now to a block cement building in Central where at 18 years old, I decided, God, I am following you and there was no turning back. And I had nothing to offer and I didn't even think it was gonna work out and I didn't see how this was gonna go, but I was desperate for his presence because I had messed everything else up. And there are times in my life where my mind has to go back to that spot. I could take you to a spot in a church in Fort Worth, Texas, when I'm in seminary, getting my master's and thinking all I ever, I don't know if you know this about me, all I ever wanted to be was a professor. I didn't want to get involved in ministry. I didn't want to get involved in people's lives. I wanted to learn Greek and Hebrew and teach. And that's literally, that's all I wanted to do. And I remember being in a worship service and I was sitting about right over here. That that church was kind of shaped like this. And I was sitting right over here and they were singing and God's presence was there. And he began to speak to my heart and said, you're gonna do more than that. You're gonna reach people. You're gonna go on the mission fields. You're gonna go to the inner city. And my tears just began to come down my face. And I remember walking down to a spot. I could tell you what color the carpet was in that church in Fort Worth where I gave my life again to Jesus Christ and said, I'll do whatever it is you call me to do. I remember walking in to that front building 15, 20 years ago. I don't remember what it was. And I just knew, man, I had a new church and I'm sitting there, and man, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting in the middle. We had a center aisle, and I didn't know anybody there. But they began to sing a song. And the song said, I have a destiny that I know I shall fulfill. And man, something rose up in my heart. I have a destiny in that city on a hill. I have a destiny. It's not an empty wish, for I know I was born for such a time as this. Can I tell you this? That was a moment I had with God. And in those moments, we realize, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I need you for everything, but I will submit my life to you. God, I trust you. I don't even know what this means. Tomorrow's gonna look like. And I wanna encourage you, if you've never had a moment like that with God, where you stop what you're doing, focus on him. Say, Lord, I'm desperate for your presence and submit ourselves completely to him. I wanna encourage you to do that. 
And so here's the thing, though. It takes more than that. There's that moment with God, but then we need momentum in God. And in Acts chapter 2, after this happens in verses 1 through 4, and Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. But here's what it says they did. In verse 42, it says, uh, with, oh, where am I? I'm in the wrong verse. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so what Peter understood is we need more than this moment, because here's the thing. Some people never have the moment, but some people have the moment and nothing follows it up. Does that make sense? In fact, one of my favorite stories, I heard a story one time of an evangelist that would go to the same church every single year, and they would do this revival and people would get saved. And there was one man that every single year, he would come down to the front, he would respond to the altar call, he'd lift up his hands, he would cry, and he would just say over and over again, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord. But then he'd go right back to living like he was living. And next year, do the same thing, and next year, do the same thing. And about the fifth year, he's up here at the altar, and he's saying, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord. And a lady in the back said, don't do it, Lord, he leaks. And I heard that story and I thought, I felt like that. You ever felt like that? God fills you up on Sunday morning, but then during the week, it's like you leak. How do we keep from leaking? We keep from leaking when the moment with God is followed up by momentum in God. And momentum is created by intentional, consistent action. And Peter lays out here the four things that they did. I wanna encourage you to have that moment with God. But I want to encourage you to do this too, to give ourselves the four things. It says they devoted themselves. I think devoted is an important word. They didn't dabble. They didn't try it out. They didn't do it when it was convenient. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now they had the apostles there. So Peter, James, John, they literally taught those who were in the church. We don't have Peter, James, and John here, but we do have the apostles' teaching in the Bible. One of the ways that we create momentum in God is to devote ourselves to God's word. And I wanna encourage you to do that. And here's what, you know, there's, you could do a whole teaching on why we read the Bible. But here's what it comes down to for me. God's word tells us who God is. And more than anything else, I need to know who God is. All right, this is not Google. And I think sometimes that's why we struggle reading the Bible. We have a question and we think the Bible's Google and I think I'm gonna open up the scripture this morning and get an answer to my question. And can I tell you, normally I don't. I got questions just like you. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. And most mornings when I wake up and read my Bible, God doesn't give me any help for that day. But he shows me a little bit more of who he is and then a little bit more of who he is and then a little bit more of who he is. And when I understand who God is, then I understand what my life's about. And God wants us to focus on Him. That's what God's Word does for us. It shows us who God is. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And that's relationships. And man, that is so important. It is so important that we, and I, again, they devoted themselves. They didn't say, Lord, I hope this comes along. They made it happen. It is so important that we have people in our life that challenge us to live for Christ. Man, this, this Monday, I did a workout. There's a workout that we do 
uh, with some guys every Memorial Day. It's called Murph. Some of you may have heard of it. It's, it's super hard, all right? It's, it's a mile with a 20-pound weight vest. It's a mile, and then it's 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then you run another mile. And so I show up with these guys to do the workout. I'm the oldest and fattest dude there. And so they're all talking about, you know, how are we going to get the striations on our abs, you know? And I, I t- my abs are like Bigfoot. Some people believe they exist. Nobody's ever actually seen them, all right? And so, man, I'm doing this workout with these guys, and they're, man, they're all young and in shape and all this stuff. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this story one ounce, all right? It's about two-thirds through the workout, and I literally think I'm dying. I start getting lightheaded. I am miserable, and I'm thinking I, I could be having a heat stroke, and which is crazy, because the next thing I thought about is, if I pass out, there's nobody here I want giving me mouth-to-mouth, all right? Just try chest compressions, and then let me go be with Jesus if that didn't work. And so, um, so I, literally, I, I'm, I'm getting lightheaded. I am miserable. All I want to do is quit. But here's why I didn't quit. I couldn't look at the guy next to me and tell him I'm out. And, and I'm not exaggerating. I took a chance on heat stroke because I was afraid to tell some 30-year-old that I was quitting. If that works there, why wouldn't that work spiritually? I'm a, can I tell you this, man? I wish I could say it was my knowledge of the Bible and my love for Jesus. And I hope I do have a love for Jesus. But there are times in my life where I have kept going because I couldn't look at the guy next to me and say, I'm out. I couldn't look at friends that I've positioned in my life, that their life challenges me, their life encourages me. I see things in them that I want, but also I come to decisions and I think I can't look them in the face and tell them about this decision. And and it's not even that I, I, I wanna do this, but man, I just, I can't tell them I'm out. And I wanna encourage, I used to think that was a message for 16 year olds. What I have learned, that is a message from 16 to 60 year olds. If you don't have, and I'm not, look, cause we all got, I mean, we all know somebody here that's like that. I'm talking about somebody close. Somebody that you talk to on a regular basis. You know, I had a youth pastor tell me one time, so you can have non-Christian friends, but they can't be your running buddies. I'm talking about your running buddies. They devoted themselves to fellowship because they knew they needed more than themselves. That's how they created momentum in God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now here's where I get excited, because I love bread, all right? I devote myself to bread. I devote myself to butter, garlic, all right? This is, but let me give you a little context for this. The first church, their church services, they recreated the Last Supper. So they took communion every single week. And when they took communion, it wasn't like we take communion, a, a little 10 minute portion where you know, we talk about it. They would literally have a supper, they would break bread. That's why it's different than fellowship. And they would recreate the last supper. Now just so you know, we're not in disobedience. In 1 Corinthians, about 20, 30 years later, Paul says, stop doing that, all right? And that's why we do it how we do now. But all that to say, they devoted themselves to the Bible They devoted themselves to strong relationships. They devoted themselves to church attendance. I wanna encourage you, devote yourselves to this house. Because I'm so proud of all the things that we do in outreach. I love being a part of that. I I talk about that as much as, as anybody. And I love that we're constantly talking about getting outside of the four walls of the church 
But can I tell you this, what's inside the four walls of the church is pretty hard to replicate in the rest of our life. And one of the things that, a choice that I made early, and it was kind of made for me, is that church attendance was non-negotiable. We didn't go when it was convenient. We didn't go when everything worked out. We went to church. And so when I got older, I just went to church because that's what I had always done. I remember leaving my house in the middle of the Super Bowl before you could tape games to go to church. That's sacrifice, all right? I remember before highlights. And, and here, because here's what I think church attendance does for us. It's like an anchor. And, and I don't know a lot about boating, but I know this. An anchor will let you drift, but it doesn't let you drift away. And there's something about coming here every single week, because we all drift from time to time. But church attendance, as much as, I don't wanna be legalistic, of course there's times we have to miss and things come up, but I'm talking about making it a priority in our life. And I'll tell you, I looked at something, even as a pastor, I looked at my life the other day, and I, I mean, not the other day, a few years ago, and thought, man, here's a list of things I will not miss. If church is not on that list, what does that say about my devotion to God? And there's something about church that when we start to drift, it just keeps us from drifting away. We get in here with the presence of God and the message and the altar and the relationships that we see. So I wanna encourage, they devoted themselves to the, to the breaking of bread. And then the last thing it says, they devoted themselves to prayer. And prayer is just awareness of the presence of God. So I wanna close in just one second. But I believe, I wanna pray for two kinds of people. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a moment with God. Maybe you've never had one, you've been in church, but you've never completely submitted your life to God. You've never really been desperate for God. And I wanna encourage you, today can be that day where God empowers you to do what he has created and called you to do. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've had the moment but like I said before, you find that you've been leaking. And for some reason, the moments are there and it's church service and, and certain things happen, but there's just not momentum. And, and I've even found this, because here's the thing about the moment with God. It can be a little tricky, all right? I mean, how, I won't make you raise your hand, but we've all done it. Man, I'm gonna focus on God. And you sit there and your mind's wandering. You can't figure out what to do. No angel shows up. What does this look like? So I wanna, if that's you, I wanna encourage you to do two things. First of all, I wanna encourage you to step out. If you come up here and nothing happens, what are you lost? All right, I, I do that in my house, man. There's, there's time, I think posture is important. There's times in the morning I get on my face in my car before, not every morning. Sometimes I lay on my face and I'm thinking about the ball game. I just, I can't get my mind right. But I hadn't lost every, I hadn't lost anything. But man, when those times God meets you, it's worth it. But I've also found it's sometimes momentum leads to the moment. That I, I, for some reason, I can't connect with God like I want to. But if I find I just devote myself to the Bible, to the right friends, to church attendance, to prayer, and tomorrow I do those four things again, and the next day I do those four things again, and the next day I do those four things again, it's amazing how momentum can lead to the moment. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.